This podcast is designed for you to discover more about who you are, to challenge your old adopted beliefs, and to expand your awareness at what's really possible. I'm Adam Esco, and this is The Unspoken Agreements. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Unspoken Agreements podcast. This is Adam Esco, your host. Thank you so much for being here. This is a great one today. I'm happy to share this one for you. I actually spoke with Dr. Dr. Angela Hebner uh, several months ago, and I was really excited to do so. She's someone that's helped uh, me and my wife out a ton and uh, has been our therapist when we... um, wanted to grow when we want to grow closer. And so I wanted to team up with her. I wanted to um, pick her brain a little bit and ask about this very difficult uh, and challenging topic that comes up for all of us in any relationship. It's navigating those difficult conversations, navigating those crucial conversations where the emotions are high, where the stakes could be high. And um, we just want some tools on how to be better at this, how to be better so that get the outcome that we want, how to be better, that we could be the best version of ourselves, how to be better so that we can really connect with people on a deeper level and not kind of live with this regret. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. It's it's a great one and uh, hope you all enjoy. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I am really, really excited to be talking with you. Dr. Angela Hebner, psychotherapist, Falls Church extraordinaire. Angela, thanks uh, so much for being here. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah, I just give everyone a little bit of background. Uh, Angela is and has been really my therapist that I've seen for really a couple of years with my wife. And uh, you have helped us, specifically me, tremendously. Um, been such an amazing impact and, and a benefit to our relationship. And I'm really grateful and excited to be talking to you right now. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Yeah, just yeah. to give everyone a little bit of background here, I um, I reached out to Angela and asked her if, if she could do this because, um, you know, entering conversations with anyone that you just kind of feel this angst around uh, could be difficult, especially in a, in a relationship. And I know this is something that I needed a lot of work on. And I asked her, is it okay if we, we kind of record something that could benefit people who don't really know how to navigate through that? And... I gave her full permission to share anything that comes up with, uh, you know, that came up from my past because there's there's definitely no shame or, or guilt around that. So very excited to get into this. Great, great, me too. Cool. So, so where should we start? So here's where I think we should start. My yeah. sense is that there's gonna be some themes or messages that come up from today that's gonna be relevant to difficult conversations, but in this context, let's let's focus on romantic relationships, couples, partners, um, and this is really meant for the people that have something on their mind or feel upset or something that's bothering them and they don't know what to do, they don't know how to bring it up with their partner. Um, maybe they've had times in the past, they've got all this evidence where it hasn't gone well. Like try to bring something up, it, it blows up in their face, um, so they've got all this evidence to build up that it hasn't gone well. So I think this conversation is really going to serve uh, a couple things. And the intention of this really will be how can we open up awareness for the listener and how can they get some tools and strategies to have more confidence in entering these conversations? 
and ultimately hopefully have a, a deeper and more meaningful connection with their partner. So that's where I think is gonna be the theme around this. So where to start? So I think it's it's tempting to just go right into the how, like part of me just wants to go right in, like how do we do this? How do we have effective conversations? But right. maybe I think a better place to start would be if someone's feeling upset, maybe their partner did something or didn't do something or said something or didn't say something and they're just frustrated, annoyed, feel unsupported, what are some of the reasons it could be helpful to explore these thoughts and feelings within themselves first? Right. I think first is is the key statement right there. So what what couples that aren't doing well tend to do is jump right in and just blast their partner without really doing an internal check first. So the so the exploring what's going on for me before I try to engage my my partner can be really helpful because part of that is slowing down your own nervous system so that you can figure out the different parts of you that are activated because rarely is it just one like you you may be thinking about a conversation with your partner and thinking um, she got so mad at me last time um, so I'm gonna have to say it just right or she never gives me what I want or you know that so we can have multiple perspectives or I call them parts that are that are arguing in our head um, and when we're able to slow ourselves down enough by doing that internal u-turn to say okay what am I thinking what are the various thoughts I have coming up we can slow them down and speak for them rather than from them right mm -hmm. and so that might look like first off recognizing a part of me is really nervous a part of me is so excited to have this conversation another part of me is really um, afraid and other parts nervous I'm going to get defensive um, so even noticing that um, we can decide which ones we want to speak for mm. does that make sense yeah you're, you're talking about labeling it right a part of me feels yeah yeah coming. right because there's usually usually 99% of the time more than one mm. and so if I start off with my partner from a place of defensiveness my defensiveness is going to kick off something in my partner and now we're not having a connected conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How, how difficult is that for someone that hasn't practiced that? You know, and, and where can they start? You know, maybe before this conversation or throughout the day, any, any tips or tools with that? Great question. Most people don't pay attention on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, we're not, Joe, Joe Schmo walking down the street is typically not paying attention to his or her thoughts. Um, they're just sort of being drug around by the nose by whichever way the wind's blowing. So it, the first piece is really recognizing, wait a minute, I have an observing self that can pay attention mm -hmm. to my thoughts. Um, and so I call it paying attention on purpose, like John Kabat-Zinn does. And mm -hmm. that's huge. That's the very first thing of I am not my thoughts and I can pay attention to my thoughts. That's a game changer for lots of people that that haven't done that. Yeah, this this like disidentifying with your thoughts disidentifying right. with you know and a lot of people talk about that in the mind mindfulness space mm -hmm. you you take that also into the emotion and feeling space too absolutely so so i approached it a little bit a little bit differently than the mindfulness community i'm i'm working from an internal family systems model and one of the things we talk about there is befriending, getting to know these parts, these emotions, rather than disidentifying, pushing them away, recognizing they're part of me, but they're just a part, they're not all of me, which is which is a different approach rather than 
you know, just kind of let it float by because emotions have important data for us. Emotion, the word comes from the Latin word emuvra, which means to move. So emotions reflect one, the story we're telling ourselves about what's happening, and then they give us a biological, physiological urge, right, to move toward something or away from something. Um, and so to push them away doesn't really help us. Hmm. It just sort of kicks the can down the road. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. I I'm, I'm appreciate that. The um, what I sense is with this, and I'm putting myself in my own shoes, right? I've got to use my own perspective here, is there is so much emotion leading into this conversation, right? Why else would we be having the conversation if we weren't emotionally triggered in some way and something feels off? Mm -hmm. So is what what's the tool? So noticing it, um, labeling it, and you kind of brought up friending it. If someone yeah. hasn't really heard that before, what's the value in, in having that kind of relationship, a friend, friendship relationship? Oh, it's, it's a great question. Um, many of my clients, when they start this process, see emotions as something to be managed and sort of pushed away. Like, it's not okay for me to be angry. I want to get rid of my anxiety. I want to get rid of my sadness, um, which makes it kind of sets you up as an adversarial response. Um, as opposed to realizing this emotion or this part, they're not synonymous, but this this anxiety, for example, um, has good information for me. All of our parts have some sort of adaptive strategy. In other words, all of them are trying to help us in some way, even if to us it looks like they're just a pain, right? Mm -hmm. So so an anxious part typically is its message when you turn toward it rather than trying to shove it away is pay attention, pay mm -hmm. attention. Something could go wrong here. Have you thought about, you know, X, Y, Z? It's trying to be... Um, helpful. When it overfunctions, right, then it can shut us down because it, it doesn't let us check it off. But if you're just befriending anxiety, and you can say, okay, what is it that you want me to know? Right? It's going to say, you know, to me, did you turn off the stove? Well, good question. Did I? <laughs> like, let me, let me check. Or, yeah, I did. Thanks for asking. Okay, we can move on. Yeah. So that would be an example of befriending. Um, and and all of our parts, and this is hard for people to swallow, have some helpful quality to that. So even even uh, clients that I have that might um, eat too much, drink too much, um, or even have suicidal thoughts, those eating too much, drinking too much, saying it's time for me to exit, are ways our systems trying to get us out of pain. Mm. Right. So so maybe the, the collateral damage is intense, but but the first mission of, OK, you're in a lot of pain. Let's just drink. So you forget. OK, I'm forgetting I'm not in pain anymore. Or, OK, let's off ourselves. OK, that will get you out of pain. Right. That I won't be around anymore, but that's secondary. So so when you start to take that approach, that curiosity to all of those different emotions, you can learn quite a bit. Yeah, just from what you're sharing, I see tremendous value in, like, again, shifting the relationship because the emotions are always going to be there, right? Yeah. Especially yeah. in the relationships, we're having these emotions continue to flood back in. So all these outlets that you're talking about, yeah, in the moment, that will help, but mm -hmm. they're going to just come back. So if you really want right. to change the game, you're, you're kind of suggesting and, and offering a different way. 
Right, right. And one of the things you find out, which I think if I can transition a little bit, you and I found out in, in our sessions, that sometimes what that part believes or the story that emotion um, is telling you about what's going to happen isn't based in present time at all. Like many times the the part, right, the anxiety is or the not wanting to be controlled, um, right, has nothing to do with the present relationship. It's holdover from experiences we had in the past. And so in this work, we're sort of able to update that part and bring it into present time um, so that it's working, you know, not with old stuff that's muddying the waters now. Yeah, I mean, I have to give the backstory here because <laughs> this is what you're talking about. I, I just shared this before we, we turn on the recording here is just thinking back why my wife and I entered a, a therapy relationship with you is because I always felt like something was off myself. But to be honest, half the time I went into the therapy, I was like, well, this is going to be good because we could just get in a conversation. She could change. I could get what I want. But really everything started from, like you said, what I had made up from the stories of the things that happened in the past. Obviously, I'm not good enough. I'm unsupported. And I would just see that, and I didn't know this at the time, but that would be verified and validated throughout my relationship and in my work life too. Um, but I don't know if I would, there's, I don't think unless I had heard this somewhere or it somehow got in my awareness, I wouldn't even been able to know that this was running the show. I just thought it was the other person. I thought it was her. Right. You say you say such an important thing. I didn't realize this one was running the show. And that's huge because what happens for us usually is a lot of these stories um, or these ideas about how the world works or how I think about myself get laid down for us pretty young um, based on experiences and interactions, not even necessarily coming from a bad place. We just, as, as little ones, make assumptions. But then that belief becomes a bit of a filter that, that then is in our implicit memory. So it's almost like it's running minimized on the desktop of our mind, but it's filtering what data you're able to pay attention to, right? So if the filter that I'm seeing the world through, even though I don't know I'm seeing the world through that filter, is um, it never works out for me and I can never get it right, um, I'm gonna keep finding those experiences because I've blocked out anything that might disconfirm that. And that's why this work I think is so important because we're able through therapy to make what's implicit explicit, update it, put it back so you don't have all of that baggage. It just frees you up. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, so, so all right, let's go back to the person listening to this for a second. Mm -hmm. You, you're doing some of the inner work. You're starting to become more aware of your thoughts. Maybe you're feeling into your emotions a little bit. You're trying to shift this, but you're still feeling afraid. And how do you how do you get yourself to enter the conversation when instead you would either want to avoid it or just kind of tiptoe around like the main subject? Like, what are, what are some things to think about for this person? Well, so so a big one is to make sure physiologically you're centered. A lot of people will talk about I was triggered, and and that in in my world means I had a I had a physiological response that put me in fight or flight response, so sympathetic nervous system. So if I'm if I'm anxious, um, worried, that's one end of triggering. Um, my field of thought is going to narrow, 
So if I'm going to try to have an important place and I'm feeling uncentered, it's not going to go well, um, mm. in part because when we're in that um, outside of our window of tolerance, what we can what we can think and feel at the same time, when we get triggered, we can only feel. Mm. And if we want to have a connected conversation, we need to be able to think and feel at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And and so so being able to one take some deep breaths to mm -hmm. kick in our parasympathetic nervous system, um, do some shaking to kind of clear out the all of the stress chemicals you know that are coursing through our body, um, and then being able to look at our partner, make some eye contact, feel mm -hmm. safe, even hold hands if that's possible, because that tactile again can calm our nervous system. Then our thinking brain will stay online and we'll be able to think and feel at the same time. Mm -hmm. If I'm triggered, then I, I stop thinking. It's like I'm looking, I'm looking like this. And it doesn't, it just doesn't usually go very well. Yeah. No, thank you. That's great. Hey, you know, how do you shift from the emotional, the sympathetic, the narrow focus to you know getting yourself back online, so to speak? And you just label a couple of great things, the labeling from before, you know, seeing if you could do that, holding your partner's hand, getting eye contact, taking those deep breaths to name a few things that you just, you know, came up with that could be extremely helpful. Here's where I think a good place could could be to go. Uh, uh -huh. So. So some people get into this state with like, OK, I'm going to do I know I'm going to do everything I can do but mm -hmm. I can't control my partner. Like what, mm -hmm. what if they, what if they disagree? What if they react? Um, what, what do I do in those moments when they get reactive and uh, what can I do? Right, right. What, what I say, what I say often to my clients is you need to make it as easy as possible for your partner to give you what you want. <laughs> Let me say that again. I want, I want you to make, I want, I want you to make it as easy as possible for your partner to give you what you want. Uh, and so how do we do that? So yeah. so part of that is realizing my partner has triggers too. My partner has emotions and fears and stories um, in, in his or her life, right? That, that influence how they see the world. And so if I'm bringing up something difficult and they immediately get defensive or they shut down, all I can do is stay centered and stay connected. Instead of instead of firing back with my own defenses and okay, here we go again, right? If I don't enter into that negative cycle with my partner, chances are I can pull them back into the conversation. They get to be human too. They get to have reactions. Yeah, it's, I, you know, I see such tremendous value through this conversation is coming up again in like the pre-planning of this. Yes. Right. Like visualizing, imagining maybe that happening, imagining yourself in that situation, mm -hmm. setting an intention. Mm -hmm. What are things that you would offer someone that wants to, at least for their mind, right? It, take their mind yeah. a little bit at ease, give them some ways to say, OK, well, here's some things you could at least do, think about, maybe write down that might mm -hmm. help help you. Well, so so the first is being very clear about what it is you want to communicate. Right. So what what is the message without a whole bunch of backstory, without a whole bunch of, you know, what what is the takeaway I want my partner to have? And why is that important to me? Oh, my gosh. 
Why is that important to me? How is that going to help us? Right? How does it play back into the us? Right? These are these are ways to message. The another piece of it is doing that work we talked about before. Do I have a sense of all the parts of me that are up around this particular topic? And can I speak for those parts to my partner? Mm. Right? A part of me is really excited to make this change and another part of me is really nervous. What if we can't make the finances work or what if it takes a while to take off or right? So I'm aware of that and another part just thinks it's going to be so exciting for us. Like so being able to speak for all of those parts, not shut them down, um, but letting your partner know, yeah, I, it isn't all rainbows, right? I, I, I do have some fears around this and being able to speak for those. Um, another really simple one is making sure you're having the conversation at a time when you won't be interrupted, when you both had enough sleep, when you haven't been drinking too much, you know, kind of all setting yourself up environmentally for a good conversation. Mm. And then the third thing would be allowing your partner to have a reaction, right? They get to have feelings about it and sort of mentally preparing yourself for they may they may need some time to digest this. You've been thinking about it for days, probably. Um, this might be new to your partner and they might need a, a breath to catch up. Yeah, you know, that just triggered something, which was... Um, you said environmentally, locationally, whatever you're doing, set yourself up for success. And how can right. you, and you also said, what I heard you say was, you know, your partner gets to to have feelings, gets to express that. And how can you make it as easy as you can for your partner to have what they need? So how can you go in having the mindset that, how can, how can, how can I give my partner the chance to have success here too? Right, right. Kind of I think, you're in that like narrow zone of thinking, you know, to go outside. Yeah. Of when I think that's that's key is to recognize that that's what you're trying to do. And so this I'm making it sound much simpler than it is, but having having that intention and then being able in the moment to recognize when you're getting triggered again. And rather than speaking from that place, calming yourself down. And then saying, you know, doing active listening with your partner. Okay, I hear that. Tell me more about your fears. Tell me more about your thoughts about this. And really be open to listening rather than like trying to bat them all down, right? You're In that moment, you're not trying to convince your partner <laughs> of, of why your idea is so great. Your job in that moment is to hear and feel their fears. They need to feel like you get it why it's so scary to them. And if it's just a rebuttal after rebuttal, rebuttal, it's going to shut down the communication. Yeah, that that's brilliant. And um, thank you for sharing that. You know why I, I started smiling when you were talking because I have to call myself out again. And this is going to be a time <laughs> I just totally call myself out, which is totally fine. Um, it, 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 I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you do. For the longest time, and I'm probably still default to this at some extent, uh, when my when my wife would bring up a situation, I thought I had to solve her problem. In fact, right. I wanted to, right? There was that part of me that was like, oh, I don't want you to keep doing this. Like, I want you to be okay so I could feel okay. And so I just tried to solve. And and then maybe after like the fifth time you brought this up, you were like, you were just like, maybe she just wants to vent. Maybe she just wants to vent, and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't not looking for a problem solver right now. And it, you know that took some practice uh, getting to, but I, but I, can you talk about the value of of that having that conversation yeah. and what that conversation could look like and how you become aware and 
express that to your partner if, if that's what you need. How you would mm -hmm. so there's a it was a stacked question, but can you talk a little bit about oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, so so you you nailed it. What often happens in couples is is um, the partner that's upset, the other partner doesn't want their partner to be upset. They're trying to help them, right? Mm -hmm. Honey, I don't want to see you in pain. Let me solve this problem. So it's not coming from a one-up position. It's coming from a, I can make you not have to feel bad. So mm -hmm. that problem solving usually comes from a really good place. Um, it's just not the right time in the conversation. And here's why. When, when a partner that needs to vent, when a partner's... Um, working through an emotion, which is usually what's happening um, when we talk about venting, uh, people have to name what's happening. The, the more, if I'm dysregulated, I'm upset about an interaction that I had and I wanna tell my partner about it, I'm dysregulated. When I tell you, I have to move it from right brain emotion, I have all of this emotion, so now we're talking physiologically. When I have to tell you, I have to move it from this big glob over here to words. And as soon as I do that, I'm starting to make sense of it. I'm starting to order it. So every time I go, and then, and then this happened, and then, right, I'm moving it over. And it's starting to make sense. It's starting to settle in my system. So I may have to give you the story five times, but each time I give it to you, I'm moving it from that place of big emotion to something that makes makes more sense and feels like it was witnessed. Mm -hmm. And so for lots of people, when I say your your job is to hold space for her to vent, why would I do that? Well, because you're helping her regulate her physiology. Yeah, but if I just solved her problem, she wouldn't feel bad. It doesn't work that way. Because in those moments, the limbic system has hijacked um, our physiology. And I can't just turn that off and go right to logic. It doesn't work that way. I have to move it through. And the best way to move it through is to have somebody that can witness. I'm making like a container with my arms. So so I can we can look at this together. I can feel like you get it. And then I can calm down. Then this part of my brain comes back online. And now we can move into problem solving if we need to. Yeah, that's that was very well articulated. Actually, I just got that on another level. What I see could be a uh, difficulty in this process that I think might be good to spend another minute on is if you're the person coming in and you're like, you know what? I just need to be vent I just need to vent and be heard. Mm -hmm. How do you set yourself up? for success, communicate that that's what you need to your yeah. partner, and yeah. then them to be in a space where they actually could hold that space? It's a great question. One, one is saying, I just need you to listen. But, mm. but the bigger aspect of that is by and large, people aren't, don't sit with difficult emotions very well. Like we're not, we're not good at sitting in discomfort. And, and we typically do whatever we can to get out of it rather than recognizing, no, this is sort of a necessary thing I have to do. Kind of like going to the gym, right? I'll, I'll go to the gym and I will do that leg press until my legs are on fire and it hurts like heck, but I'll do it because I know it's good for me. Um, like there's a payoff at the end. Same, same when we're sitting with difficult emotions, right? If my partner is angry, uh, disappointed, sad, oh, that's heavy for me too. But the more I can sit with that, my partner will get it out and then, and then we'll both feel better. But so that's the hard part for the listener to say, 
I can sit in this hard place with my partner knowing that we're going to come out the other side, right? People will say, why would I sit there? Because we're just going to get stuck. If I let her talk about this, we're just going to get stuck there and no good's going to come of that. So we're going to get out of that as soon as possible. Um, and actually, it's just the opposite. It's kind of like those Chinese finger cuffs. You know, you have to push in to get your fingers out. Um, right. And it's uncomfortable, but it's not deadly. It's not deadly. Yeah, yeah I, I just see... Um there being a lot of value in getting to a place again ahead of time where you can, as the person who's entering the conversation, this is for the person that's bringing the issue to the table, your issue, right? My issue. Um, you're asking for a lot. You know, you're, you're, you're asking for this person. You want to set the person up for success. Maybe you want to try to set some agreements and maybe we could spend some time talking about that, what that would look like so yeah. that again, you're, you're you're before you get into the emotions you're giving yourself like this safe container x getting all the expectations out you're not you're being aware of what's triggering you you're also being aware of what's triggering there's just a lot going on so mm -hmm. um, agreements setting some rules setting intentions i know we were, you kind of talked about the intention part what about the agreements like is that something that how do you have that conversation when's the right time to have that conversation does that happen when there's no upset, like just at a time where you say, hey, let's just, we got to, this is not when something is triggering you. It's just a time right, that you guys right. are feeling okay. And how yeah. rules around that? Well, I, I like to talk about them as, um, think about it as a ritual, right? So, so we're in agreement. So when, when we have hard stuff we need to talk about, what's our protocol, so to speak? Um, and it might be like one great rule is the, the environmental piece, right? Can we have these discussions at a time when we're not going to be interrupted? Another great agreement is to have it scheduled. So, you know, we've talked about Tuesday nights could be the state of our union conversation. You know, like the president used to do state of the union, you know, on Tuesdays. Can we have a state of our union conversation, which both partners know is a time we're going to bring up how we're doing in our relationship. So you're not you're not sideswiped with it. You're not sort of ambushed with it. You know there's a placeholder for it. So that's that's a great agreement, just structurally. The other is to assume best intentions. Mm -hmm. right? We're having this conversation in an effort to make us stronger. It's for the benefit of the we. Right. And so if you can if if each of us can remember that, that we're trying to make our little corporation stronger then we can take a few hits if you you know if you will it's not it's not personal we're trying to do this for us um the other though i have i have to say this piece is it's going to get uncomfortable and often people put a lot of agreements and rules around things because they think then somehow it's not going to get messy or <laughs> uncomfortable and it is like these are emotional conversations but the agreement of we're going to stay in here anyway and come throughout the other side is is really key um, an, another that I would throw out is um, making sure you're in listening mode so that, in other words, you're not forming your response while your partner's talking. So there's ample time. My partner's going to give me a chance to think about, really take in what, what they said, and they're going to be quiet so I can think about how I want to respond. That's really important because then you're really connected. The other, The other... But one more thing, more may come, but one more thing is the eye contact and the sitting close when we're, when 
when I'm looking at your face and I'm looking in your eyes, my vagus nerve picks up, are you safe or are you threatening? So I'm gonna pick up nonverbal things that may not be conveyed in your words um, that are gonna make me feel safe or not safe. So, so couples that fight tend to not be looking at each other. And that's a problem because we become even more disconnected. So good. So good. And then being able to take a break. I mean, I think that might be the last one. Like, you know, I need, I need, I need a minute to to recalibrate. Can we continue this conversation another time? Yeah. And maybe, yeah. So even even with all of the expectations and agreements, it doesn't mean you're gonna avoid the discomfort. The discomfort is gonna be part of it. Why, you know, and that's okay. Like going back. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's part of the the growth. It's part of your emotions. It's not you. Kind of going back to what you were saying when we got this conversation yeah. started. Yeah. Uh, and one of the thoughts that came up is when you talk about the state of the union. You know, I could see. Uh, you know, that being a time like, oh man, we got this thing Tuesday nights. Then maybe becomes you could have it either way. It could either be a really great time, or it could be something that right. you start to dread based off of off of the past. That's right. That's right. Well, and, and you make a good point. It's, it's as important to talk about what's going right in the State of the Union, not just what's not working, because you're right. Otherwise, it's like, Bleh. you know, I, I see that with couples in therapy. They're like, well, we only talk about what's not going well here. And I'm like, well, we don't have to. Like, I, I'm very strength oriented. So I'll look for, OK, tell me times when it did work and what were you doing then? And let's celebrate those so you do it more. So we can't just focus on what's not working. Um, we, we also want to celebrate what is working so you do it more. Yeah, 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 exactly. Bring some attention and focus to that aspect of the relationship and to the other person, right? You know, maybe saying something you appreciate about them, which is going to be not always easy, but um, that could take off the kind of calm the nervous system a little bit. Right, right. Yeah, remember you love this person. Like, that's pretty important. <laughs> if I can remember that, they're not the enemy, right? Yeah. And, and eye contact was huge. That really helped us out a lot, of, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Massive. You know, but as we're getting towards the end here, one thing um, I want to bring light to is something I hear a lot, and I want to know what your thoughts are on this. It's the words, um, when you did this, you made me feel X. You know, you made me feel uh, bad, unsupported, um, whatever negative word comes from that. What do you think about the you made me feel? Is that something that when someone says those words out loud, maybe it's a place to discover something? Um, and when's, yeah. a, when's the time to do that? I know that we kind of got a little bit off here, but. Well, it's interesting. Whenever you say you made me feel, that's like the kamikaze death flight, hmm. right? Because as soon, now I've made you defensive and you you didn't make me feel anything. Right. And, and that's stuff does come up. Right. So so a better way to think about that was when this happened, mm. when the garbage wasn't taken out before the, the truck came. What happened for me? Right. I could say you made me so mad because you didn't take the garbage out and you never do what you said you were going to do. And I always have to double check you. And that just makes me so right. I could go that route. But, you know, you even kind of went like this. You you backed up when I started talking I'm about that. right now. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Or I could say, yeah, when when this this X happens, this is what comes up for me. I feel like um, 
what's important to me doesn't matter or that that I have to be responsible for everything. And that makes me really sad. And another part of me knows um, that it's not that I shouldn't be so upset about this, but I really am. Right. So I'm, I'm talking all about my experiences and my parts um, that got that got kicked up because of this thing that happened. But if I want understanding, it's much, my partner's much more likely, this is not 100%, but to say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize when I don't do this thing that it makes you feel invisible. But that's very different than you're such a jerk, right? You're so self-centered, you never think about, right? Because then my partner can only defend. If I say this, it makes me feel like what's important to me doesn't matter. Yeah. A better shot. So so I hate you made me. That, that's uh. You get me going. That's um, that is lazy, right? That is an unexamined response. I can get triggered, right? Because something happened, but I'm in control of what I do with that. What well, I'm just—you could tell how how great that that verbiage was by you. And just to bring more focus to this is. The you made me isn't going to help you, number one, isn't going to help your situation with your conversation with your partner. So it's not going to get you the result you want. And like you said, it's not empowering. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. You're the victim then. Mm -hmm. It's a victim mentality. It's a Mm -hmm. it's 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 a lose lose. That's Um, right. And it disconnects. Right now we're not connected in relationship because we're we're defensive we're defensive. Yeah, and I yeah. love and just to shift that finally just to hit what you said which was so great one more time it's it's really talking about it from yourself. I felt X. I noticed part right. of me that felt this way because of this, not because of you, but because of this. Right. So it takes off the pressure. It takes off the person. You know, doesn't have to get triggered. That your your partner. Mm-hmm. So that's brilliant. And, and a big piece of that, just to add, to add one more, it's the spirit in which I'm saying that, right? Because I could say, and when the garbage wasn't taken out, right? And it's sort of the, there's an angry, right? As energy. opposed to energetic. when, when it's an energetic. So so people people can use that model and, and still make it stingy, right? Mm-hmm. So you really have to be, you really have to be, um, thoughtful and honest with yourself about what's my intention here? Am I trying to zing my partner while using perfectly, you know, legitimate language, or am I really trying to work on this relationship? Yeah. How easy or hard is it to say like, I'm, I felt hurt. People have have a very hard time with that because, because what can happen, the the fear of what can happen is, well, that's on you. Oh, you're hurt. Well, that's too bad for you. Right. So now I was just vulnerable and you just kicked me while I was down. Yeah, which actually gets into, uh, you know, when is it time to say, listen, I think it's actually better to have these conversations with a therapist. Go see Dr. Hebner. Yeah. Yeah. When is that time for people? I I think it's when you get stuck, when you can't get to that speaking for your parts in an open hearted connected way. That's when a therapist can be really helpful because they can slow the whole thing down um, and help each partner turn in and then do an exploration on their own and then play it back for the partner. And the therapist can help um, regulate 
both partners in the session so they can hear in a, in a more open way. Yeah, absolutely. feel so strongly about that. I think the last question to wrap up would be, you listened to this conversation, you had some, you had like this one, like actually went well, you came in, you put it on yourself, you talked about yourself, you gave the partner the chance um, to, to the space to open up, you went in with the intentions, you were mindful and it went well. How mm -hmm. do you build momentum on that? So it's not just this one lucky experience, but maybe you could say, let's try to make this like habitual. Let's try to make this like the new norm. I, I think having that conversation is critical. We, we tend to glance off the stuff that works and hang on to the stuff that doesn't, right? Our brain is Velcro for the bad and Teflon for the good. So when we find something that works, couples really, I do want them to talk about that and recognize this wasn't fluky. We set some intentions. How do we make sure that we repeat that again? So I think naming it like that and saying that was a win. We should try this moving forward. What did we do? You know, how did we do that? Let's let's be intentional. There. I have couples that make rules and put them, you know, like agreements or ideas and put them on the refrigerator so they see them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, bring, whatever bring, works. Yeah. Call it out. Bring focus to it. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Thank you, Dr. Angela Hebner. This was this was so fun. It flew by. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you. Yeah. Where can everyone find you? Right. I, I am in Falls Church. My website is www.drangelahebner.com. Wonderful. Well, I'm just really appreciative for all that you've done for me. And again, um, for this conversation, this is, this is so, so important and so valuable. So thank you. Great. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please visit me at www dot adamesco.com.